Welcome to Trinity Forum Conversations. I'm your host and president of the Trinity Forum, Cherie Harder. We continue our special Lenten podcast series today with author and spiritual director, Ruth Haley Barton. In this brief introduction to the spiritual disciplines of silence and solitude, Ruth considers the unique gift these practices offer us, why they can be so challenging, and the way that these practices look different depending on your season of life. We hope you're encouraged to start right where you are, even if that's just a minute or two of silence in the morning before the day begins, or at night to allow the sediment of the day to settle and to see more clearly what's most important. With that, here's today's conversation. At the very beginning of your book, you wrote that you chose to write about this subject because in your words, solitude and silence was both the most needed and least experienced spiritual discipline among Christians today. And you know, as one surveys the landscape of Christendom in America, there's probably many different disciplines one could say could be helpful or needed. Why do you believe silence and solitude is the most needed if least experienced? Oh, well, that's a beautiful question. I think there are some cultural things we could say, but solitude and silence in particular is where we encounter God, but it is also the place that's most challenging for us on so many different levels. Solitude just challenges us uh, psychologically, spiritually, culturally, relationally. It challenges us on every single level. And yet the scriptures are very clear, including the verse that you referenced, that there's a way of knowing God in the stillness that is different than how we know God in the busyness of our lives and in the noise and in the words and the activity of our lives. It's just so clear, you know, be still and know that I am God, be still and know something in a deep experiential way. And I believe that one of the reasons that solitude and silence is so challenging is because it's challenging spiritually, that the evil one, I believe, comes against all of our attempts to know God in that way. Because the evil one knows that if we do know God deeply and experientially in the center of our being, that the evil one's power over us would be unseated, you know? And so there's just a way of knowing God that is is very different. And I also believe that the guidance that we need in, in moments, and of course, we're in a very difficult moment now in our culture, that there's a kind of guidance that comes to us as we listen to the spirit of God in the depths of our beings that's different than what we think our way into intellectually. And so even now, I think there's a tremendous need to go deep and to go down into the souls of our beings to hear the wisdom that we need as we are still in the pandemic and as we emerge from this crazy time that we've all been in. You know, We're not gonna think our way into the answers and solutions, I don't believe. We're gonna discern our way in and that's gonna come through listening to God in, in the depths of our being through solitude and silence. Yes. So you, you and I were talking yesterday about this very interesting study that came out of UVA, where a bunch of, of people, all age groups, were kind of asked to stay by themselves, you know, silently and in solitude in a room with no distractions. And the only distraction they were allowed to have was that of giving themselves a painful electric shock. And uh, the results of this experiment were the vast majority of people actually preferred painful shocks to just yeah. sitting in silence. And I noticed that in your own book, you described a silent retreat that you were really looking forward to and having almost a panic attack before it started. So why is silence and solitude so hard for us? 
Well, I think for many reasons, first of all, I've already mentioned spiritually, I think there is a spiritual challenge to solitude and silence and that the evil one is involved in trying to prevent us from knowing God in the way that we can know God in solitude and silence. I think that it's, I think solitude and silence is very challenging to us psychologically, because when you remove all the distractions, you have to be present to what's really going on on the inside, you know? So my grief, my sadness, my wounds, my disappointments, my resentments, my frustrations, that without the distraction, then I have to really be present to myself. And what I'm present to might be difficult and painful to be present with, psychologically speaking. It's a psychological dynamic. I think solitude and silence is difficult because relationally we make ourselves unavailable to people that want us to be available to them. So we struggle with our, um, the way that we're all bound up in our relationships. And am I even allowed to be disconnected from people and unavailable to people for a while? Culturally, there's nothing in our culture right now that supports solitude and silence. And in fact, it might surprise you to know that I feel like I'm struggling more with solitude and silence than I ever have. And one of the reasons for that is the technology. We keep our phones like literally on our bodies and in, on our wristwatches now. We have ways of being notified that we have a new email message. To be disconnected now, people expect a response to their texts and to their emails immediately. And so relationally, it's difficult to give our full and you know, undivided attention to God versus allowing ourselves to be available through our technologies. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's just so challenging and difficult on that level as well. And this fear of missing out, FOMO, you know, mm -hmm. that if I'm not on and available, am I going to miss out, you know, on something really significant? So I think fear of missing out is now very much a part of our psychology as well. So there are just so many reasons why solitude and silence are challenging and more challenging now than ever. You mentioned the, the pain and the internal chaos that silence reveals. And I wanted to ask you about that along with, in many ways, sort of one of the paradoxical appeals of silence and solitude is, is rest. In fact, I think you devoted almost a third of your book to essentially yeah. silence and rest. So how does that happen? You know, if, if silence actually exposes and forces us to face you know, kind of our internal chaos, that seems largely like an experience of disorientation and desolation, not of, of rest. Yeah. Well, and those are the, those dynamics that I just named and that you just named, those are something that we are going to have to tolerate and wait through until the chaos settles. Um, and so I'll move to talking about that metaphor that was so important to me early in my own experience with solitude and silence where I was all riled up and I knew it, um, emotions that I could sometimes manage but couldn't fully control, um, the drivenness of my personality at the time, the unhealthy ways I was living in my body, all those kinds of things were very, very true for me. And I sought out therapy at first. And then my therapist was also a spiritual director. And she eventually said, you know, Ruth, you're a jar of river water all shaken up. And what you need is to sit still long enough so that the sediment can settle and the water can become clear. And that image called to me powerfully. It called to me powerfully because on the one hand, I knew that she was naming me correctly, that even though I'd been a Christian all my life, I wasn't characterized internally by the peace that passes understanding. I was characterized by chaos and the sediment that was swirling for all sorts of different reasons. So to be named like that is a very convicting experience. Um, 
But then, you know, Richard Rohr talks about the fact that to take a good journey, first of all, you have to name where you are and then say, I'm willing to go someplace else. And so that image of the jar of river water that had sat still long enough for the sediment to settle and the water to become clear, that image called to me in a way that nothing else was calling to me, even though I've studied my Bible all my life and, and I'm theologically um, informed. This language was fresh for me and it was different. And I thought, wow, if my soul could be a place where the sediment had settled and things had settled down and the water could become clear, that's what I wanted. I wanted to have that kind of clarity inside my own soul. And that, that image called to me in a different and deeper way than even some of the biblical language called to me. Um, and I said, that's where I want to go. That's what I want to have be true about me. And I'm willing to try pretty much anything to see if that could be true for me. And so um, what I learned in my initial practice with solitude and silence is that the first thing I had to face was the chaos the very things we've named here, the only way to get to any other side is to wait through it. Just like the jar of river water, if it sits still long enough, the sediment will settle. If we as souls sit still long enough, first it's gonna be uncomfortable. It's gonna be really uncomfortable to sit. And then eventually though, the sediment will settle and something new will emerge. And so um, when I would come back to my spiritual director and you know, she was the one that encouraged me in solitude and silence and I would come back and I would say, this is so hard, it's so chaotic, I'm so distracted, I can't even sit there 10 minutes. She would very sagely say, well, that's what it's like because for the first time you're acknowledging that what's true inside you is chaos. This is what it's like. So I was seeing myself for what I really was outside of being distracted and unwilling to see. And so um, all, the only way through all that is through. There's no other way except to sit through the discomfort and maybe sometimes the pain. Um, but knowing that if, it's, if, if you sit still long enough and you don't even have to do anything, you don't bat around anything, you don't try to fix anything, but you're just willing to be still, then the sediment in our souls will begin to settle. And I hope that's encouraging uh, to people who are listening because I found it encouraging and I needed that encouragement in order to stay faithful to the practice early on. You know, one of the things that struck me about, you know, even the metaphor you mentioned, the spiritual director that you mentioned is um, you also mentioned in her book that at one point she had told you, be still and the knowing will come. Mm-hmm. And it seemed to me just in reading your book, at least this reader, that there was sort of um, you know, a theme of epistemology that kind of ran through the book too. You, know, you have it introduced by Dallas Willard, the late great Dallas Willard, who was a, a epistemologist and a philosopher. Uh, and we're in a time of, of real confusion. Um, there's chaos and confusion and controversy about what is true or false, real or fake news and the like. And so what, what is the knowing? What is the knowledge um, that your spiritual director promised you that comes through that kind of stillness when, you know, when the sediment settles? Well, I think that what she was referring to in that particular moment that I referenced was discernment, you know, that there were areas that I was trying to discern in my life and the answers weren't coming through the intellect and thinking really hard and listing the pros and cons and, you know, doing the research and reading another book by a guru. She was really encouraging that discernment where you're quiet enough that you can hear the Holy Spirit, you know, and the scriptures are clear that the only one who knows the mind of God is the spirit of God. And so if we're not hearing 
coming from the spirit. We're not knowing the mind of God. It's the only way to know the mind of God. And you have to be quiet. Um, you have to let some of that sediment settle to know the difference between your own mind, your own thoughts, your own culture, the voice of culture, what it is that God is actually saying to you distinctly deep inside. So I know there that she was referring to discernment, things I needed to know about my next steps would only come as I sat quietly and allowed God to lead me into knowing. The other thing that I experienced first that was a knowing, it really does refer to Psalm 4610, where I began to know myself in God beyond all the doing. I began to know and experience the love of God for me beyond all the doing. I experienced myself to be loved um, beyond the doing that many of us, especially as Protestant doer Christians, you know, we are so schooled in activism. It's just a part of the Protestant DNA that to experience ourselves loved beyond all the doing and to realize that God wants something from us first before the doing, God actually wants us, you know, before the doing, God wants us and God wants our undivided attention and God wants to shower us with God's love and God wants to give us the gifts of knowing and, and discernment and an experience of, of being accepted and known unconditionally. Those are all things that God wants to give us first, you know, and the activism and the doing can grow out of that, of course, and it does always um, because God is always doing good things in and through us and th in and through our journeys. But um, there was the experiential knowing of God's love um, and a fullness that came out of the knowing. And then the other thing I'll mention is peace, that I had not experienced a lot of peace in my life, you know, given my personality, given, you know, my, I, I, I do really enjoy the life of the intellect. Um, I'm a reader, I'm a studier. I love the life of learning and the life of the mind, but the mind wasn't doing it for me at that point, you know? And I knew that there were places where I wasn't transforming. I knew there were places where I was still a selfish clod, you know, and those things weren't changing by getting more information and they weren't changing within the life of the intellect. And so, you know, God began to give peace I began to experience a kind of peace that I had never experienced before in the words and in the learning and in the knowing and in, or excuse me, and in the, you know, the activism, there was a kind of peace that I experienced that was different than just talking about peace, you know? So a lot, a lot is given in the practice of solitude and silence that I do not believe comes to us in any other way. Truthfully, I don't think it comes to us in any other way. Just listening to you, I can imagine that there's many people listening for whom the prospect of, of stillness and silence and solitude sounds wonderfully refreshing. But also they, they live in places with very little privacy and unrelenting demands from whether it's work or children or others that they're caring for depend on them. Yeah. If you're in that situation, how, um, how do those of us who live our life on call, so to speak, incorporate a practice of silence and solitude? Well, that is a wonderful question to dig into. Like there are, there are real scenarios that you described right there that need, you know, guidance and that need ideas. Um, you know, obviously any sort of place that offers retreat or retreat ministry, we are really big on the come away part of come away with me and rest a while, even though we haven't been able to practice it very well the last year, there is something about the coming away, you know, and Dallas Willard says, if you don't come apart for a while, you'll come apart after a while, you know, 
that there is there is a need to try to find a way to be away even just a little bit. And I know that there are real stresses. There's young children. I, I practiced this when I had young children, a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a nursing baby. And so sometimes it was getting out of the fray and nursing the baby that gave me moments to be quiet. Sometimes it would be the 10 minutes, you know, at night in the bath while my husband cared for children. And this, this is part of it is I think we need to work with the people that live with us and work hard together to brainstorm. How can you get some solitude? How can I give you some solitude and people who work together, uh, who live together can work together, whether you're single living with roommates, how can we work together to give each other, even the smallest little bit of time alone and quiet. I, I love being alone and present to God in my house, which hasn't happened a lot lately. It's not happened for anyone a lot lately. And sometimes I've just had to ask my dear loving husband, could you just please go do an errand or something so that I could just have a little bit of time. And it just replenishes me so profoundly that we're happy to give that you know, to each other. With young children, I have daughters who all have young children and it's a beautiful thing to watch how they work with their husbands and how they work back and forth to give each other these moments alone to hear from God. The other thing that I hope is encouraging is that God is really faithful. We serve and seek a God who comes and God is really faithful to come into any little tiny bit of space that we create for him. And so even if it's only 10 minutes that we can get, God comes in because God's waiting, you know, to come in. So let's not set our expectations too high, but if it's only 10 minutes or it's only a half an hour, take it, be intentional with it. Um, I remember when I was a young mother and seeking solitude and silence, and I would get my kids into preschool and then there'd be all this stuff I wanted to do. I want to wash the kitchen floor. I want to shop. I want to, to do this or that. And I would have to, I would see, I only had an hour and a half. And I would have to be so intentional with what I was going to do with that tiny little bit of time I had. And even though so much was clamoring, I knew what my deeper desire was. And most of the time I made decisions that were consistent with the deeper desire of my heart, which was to be present with God and allow God to be present with me. And so um, I think if church sanctuaries are open, you know, even to slip into a sanctuary or into a beautiful chapel for a few days at our, at our lunch hour, that can be something. I even suggest giving yourself a little bit of time at work. You know, you, you get a lunch hour, you know, that's given to you by law. So use it, you know, turn your chair away from your desk, face a cross or a candle and give yourself a few moments to breathe in God's presence during the working day. If we know this is what we want, we can find ways. Human beings have an interesting way of making sure they get what they want. Have you ever noticed that? That's the way we're wired. So if we go down deep and touch our deepest desires and we realize this is something I want, it's amazing what our intentionality can do and bring if we know this is what we want. Ruth, the last word is yours. Thank you. I actually really want God to have the last word. I'd like us to experience a moment of silence. And so I'm going to lead us in a brief prayer. And in the middle of this prayer, there's going to be maybe 30 seconds of just quiet to settle in to what we've talked about here. It's so important, not just to talk about this sort of thing, but to actually experience it. And then I will complete the prayer and that will be all for me. So if you want to right now, and you're able, you could go ahead and put your feet flat on the floor, making sure you've uncrossed your arms and your legs. You could breathe deeply as a way of coming in touch with the spirit of God deep within that God who is giving you your breath, even in this moment and with your breath is affirming your life 
today. He's saying to you with your breath, I want you to live. I want you to be alive in my presence. I want you to be in me for the world. Open your hands on your lap as a way of saying to God, I want to receive whatever you want to give me in these moments, even if it's just a moment of ease in the midst of a busy day. Oh God, gather me now to be with you as you are with me. Soothe my tiredness, quiet my fretfulness, curb my aimlessness, relieve my compulsiveness. Let me be easy for a moment. Keep breathing. And now, Lord, release me from the fears and guilts which grip me so tightly, from the expectations and opinions which I so tightly grip, that I may be open to receiving what you give, to risking something genuinely new, to learning something refreshingly different. Oh God, gather me now to be with you as you are with me. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us on this Lenten journey, exploring the spiritual practices. To listen to this or any of our conversations in full, please visit our website at ttf.org.